SequelCast 2 is part of the Batman Podcast Network. For more information, go to batman-on-film.com. Can you imagine what the Board of Education would say if you were granted a lineup in order to examine their private pa 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 their private parts for an incriminating mole? Hello and welcome to SequelCast 2, a podcast looking at films in a franchise, one movie at a time. I'm your host, Matt bradley Shergi. With me is Thrasher. Y'all gonna have a night you'll remember forever. That's right. We are talking about the rare um, origin story to the Warner Brothers pig character. No, um, we're talking <laughs> about Porky's. First in a trilogy of rapey sex comedies, uh, written and directed by Bob Clark, um, also produced by Don Carmody. This stars a very young uh, Kim Cattrall, uh, along with Scott Columbia, Khaki Hunter, Nancy Parsons. Music by Paul Zaza and Carl Zitter. Cinematography, Reginald H. Morris, edited by Stan Cole. Um, domestically, uh, it, this had a budget of about $5 million and grossed uh, over uh, $110 million in the U.S. and Canada box office. And that's off an estimated box. budget of about 4 to $5 million. That's right. And uh, we, we like talking box office here a little bit in the beginning. So in 1982, where do you think Porky's stood on domestic well, box office? Well, I, I know where it stood because I ended up looking this up doing my pre-search. Uh, it was number mm. five. That's right. It made more than number six, which was Star Trek II, Wrath of Khan, and less oh. than number four, which was Rocky III. But um, an so $100 million... You- oh, well, so so you mentioned you know written written by Bob Clark. I did some digging into that too. It was conceived by Bob Clark. The script itself was written by Roger Swaybill, but because this movie was filmed in Florida but produced in Canada in order to get a tax credit, mm-hmm. um, Bob Clark ended up getting sole screenwriting credit. Does that have to do with movies? Uh, there's nothing at least with movies filmed in Canada where most of like the crew has to be Canadian. Yeah, you have to hire a lot of Canadian uh, talent and, uh, and below-the-line people. Uh, mm-hmm. but, as near, as, but as near as I can tell, it didn't sour the relationship between Clark and Swaybill. Swaybill got a huge payday uh, and then also uh, got an option on the, uh, sp- the script for the sequel, uh, Porky's 2, The Next Day, which I wish more sequels would do that. They would tell you exactly how much time had passed between the first film and the current film. You're right. I mean, there is sequels like Halloween 2 takes place the next... I think even the poster said the next day, but it's just called Halloween 2. And um, it might have been Texas Chainsaw Massacre 3D or something takes place right after the original Texas Chainsaw (laughs) Massacre. So they've certainly done it before, but to have the next day in a title um, is... Yeah, it makes it obvious when it takes place uh, and what the relation is to the original. And Bob Clark, I mean, he... Is kind of like a um, a lower budget 
uh, Aiden Lee or something. He did so many. He did so many different genres. He did Black Christmas, a, a really famous early um, slasher film in '74. He did um, Rhinestone, which is a horrendous Sylvester Stallone Dolly Parton movie. Oh yeah. He did both Baby Geniuses movies. He did, uh, perhaps best known now for uh, A Christmas Story. He had its rarely seen sequel, A Summer Story, originally titled It Runs in the Family. He did the Amazing Stories episode, Remote, Remote Control Man. Was that a he, good one? I don't remember that one. I don't, I don't remember that one either. I'm guessing it's somebody mm-hmm. with a magic remote control that forwards time. Like the Adam Sandler movie Click, which in itself was based on an episode of the uh, Weird Science television series. He also directed an episode of Fudge, the sitcom based on the book uh, Tales of a Fifth Grade Nothing by, I think it's by Beverly Cleary. Beverly Cleary, yeah. Oh, I no, Judy Bloom. It's Judy Bloom. I get those confused. They did simpler kind of books. Um, and he directed a direct-to-video movie that I saw that's horrendous called The Karate Dog, with Chevy <laughs> Chase as the voice of the dog, and he fights, I think, John Voight or something. Um, it's <clears throat> not good, but... But yeah, I mean, he did a lot of different movies and different genres and, and did a lot of sequels and stuff. And uh, in fact, with, with The Christmas Story, not only did that get a sequel, A Summer Story, but PBS also produced these sort of low-budget um, sequels about that same family, albeit with a different cast. And uh, I think a year or two ago, as one of those live theatrical TV events, um, they did a stage version of A Christmas Story starring Daniel Stern. Oh, wow. And there was, uh, I do know there was the, also that pseudo-sequel remake that was direct-to-DVD uh, several years ago. Uh, yeah, Christmas Story 2, was that? Yeah, something like that? Something like that, yeah. Christmas Story's Revenge. Right. Um, but, I mean, now that the guy that did the narration on those movies is dead, you know, that really was, was just such a big appeal of a Christmas story. But we're not talking about a Christmas story. We're talking about Porky's which has one of the most iconic posters, I think, of the 80s. It shows the the peephole of a guy looking through a, a shower at a naked woman. And uh, the naked woman is, is posed, is, is cropped in a very weird way. Almost looks like a spider or something. Well, so you the, can't see any of the business, but yeah, it does make it look like they're, they're spider-manning it across the tile. <laughs> and it says, keep an eye out for the funniest movie about growing up ever made. Porky's You'll Be Glad You Came. Which is... <laughs> Not a good joke either. Um, so I'm, I keep trying to figure this out. I can't tell if this movie is American Graffiti's horny younger brother because it came out later or if it's American mm-hmm. Graffiti's horny older brother because it takes place during the Eisenhower administration. You're asking what year American Graffiti took place? I'd have to look that up. I don't know. No, no, I actually, no, I looked it up. American Graffiti takes place in 1962, because remember, where were you in 62? You in 62, sure. Uh, but this film uh, takes place, see, this is something I like, because they never flat out state when it takes place, but it's meant to, uh, it's meant to be set in 1954. The mm. only indication you get of specifically when it takes place is at the beginning uh, when uh, Pee Wee wakes up, uh, listening to that news broadcast, they specifically mention President Eisenhower, and then there's also a portrait of President Eisenhower, which is used as a gag about halfway through the film. Correct. Um, but to answer your question, I I think it's it's even though it takes place, uh, I would say older brother, I guess, and, and also like it deals more with sex. I, I mean, certainly American Graffiti. Some of it was the guys cruising around town picking up chicks, 
but it, it was very coquettish about the the <coughs> act itself and and this one it, it's more it's more raunchy it's rated r american graffiti was not uh and it uh but but i have to say i, I mentioned this when we were, were texting uh offline i was really surprised at um it, this movie felt kind of wholesome in a way and i'm not sure why i, I for some reason i thought it was going to be this skeezy piece of shit because i've heard everything about it this is my first time watching it for the show and uh I was pleasantly surprised. Well, I think what it is, is it, this is a movie that's only known by its reputation, and its reputation comes from one scene, and that's the second shower scene. Anyone, any, That's all anyone remembers about this movie, but there is so much more going on in it. Hmm. And, and I guess... And I, I guess I can't say I can't say it's progressive, but like one thing one thing that uh, is never addressed in American graffiti is the racism and sexism of its era. I can't believe I'm saying this, but Porky's confronts the racism of its era. It does, and I've heard it does it more in uh, the sequels to an extent. Um, we'll have to see when we talk about those in the weeks to come. But yeah, I, I agree, and I think that that really adds something to it, kind of like. Um, Oh, Revenge of the Nerds has kind of a bit about prejudice between jocks and nerds. Yeah, but that's a prejudice they made up for that movie. Like this, this sure, movie. This is about a openly real, confronts yes. anti-Semitism. Anti-Semitism and racism, and has characters that are openly racist, and not, I think, in a cartoony way. People using those language in terms and uh, how they treat people as a matter of fact. Well, well that's what I've sort of pleasantly surprised me is because when those terms get used, it's not used for a, a cheap laugh. Like, it's not used to shock. It's not used for a cheap laugh. But every single time someone, someone you know, uses a slur, they get called out for it. Mm-hmm. Like, they, like it is, it is openly confronted, and it's so, it is so satisfying with that when that one really bigoted guy from the basketball team, when the Jewish kid just finally just goes, okay, fuck it, and beats the shit out of him. There's something very satisfying about that. There is, there is, and um, I mean, so the movie is called Porky's because this is the name of a, a strip club that that the fellas go to, and the opening shot is this delightful neon sign of two pigs. Uh, about to get it on. Yeah, it's this neon sign of an animated pig. The male pig is dressed as a farmer. The uh, female pig is kind of flappery, but it's animated. So, like, the male pig leans forward, and the female pig flips up her skirt, and you see a, a neon pig butt. But then the sign itself says, come get some at Porky's. Yeah, it's... Uh, I would buy that in a t-shirt. I think it's pretty fun. Like, it, it's just a nice image a nice way to start the movie because it takes a bit before the characters actually get to porky's well yeah it uh the movie this is a movie that takes its time but not in a bad way (laughs) no um that being said the characters here i don't think are as interesting as in american graffiti but i mean the main character is peewee played by dan monahan who I, i think does a pretty good job he's just really earnest um, he's short, which I can relate to, and he doesn't have any real sexual experience, and they're kind of, uh, they're really trying to get him laid, uh, is sort of a running <laughs> theme of the movie. That's his character arc, if you want to call it that. Well, well, they're not only trying to get him laid, but they're also trying to prank him for trying to get laid. 
Yes, and uh, I, this movie really does focus on a lot of big set pieces or their pranks, and I think they're pretty good ones. Um, no, no, they they really are. So I do. I have to ask before we we really start digging into this. When did you first see Porky's? First time I saw Porky's was for the show. I was always I, I I worked at a Blockbuster Video for a few years, and I saw this box, and I always was tempted to rent it, but I was too <laughs> embarrassed. I don't know why. I certainly rented a lot more skeezy films, like um, oh god, like any number of pieces of shit from the horror section or whatever, right? Or or like <laughs> oh, what's that one like the Sword and the Sorceress? Like that one's quite bad. Uh, oh, oh yeah, yeah. Right. So I mean, why why Porky's? Give me pause. I don't know. I, th- I think the reputation was so infamous, I was a bit psyched out by it. But what about you? I think you mentioned you had seen this uh, at, at growing up. Well, I've seen... So this is the thing. Is like I knew I had seen scenes from this movie because it was a sort of a staple on late-night cable for a number of years, particularly, mm. particularly in the 90s. Um, however, this is the first time... Now, this is the first time, or I should say, this is the second time I have seen it from beginning to end all the way through. I had seen this movie before. I saw it, first saw it when I was five. What? How did that happen? Did you just happen to it, have cable and flip Yeah, it was channels? on cable, and my dad uh-huh. was watching it, and I was just in the room with him. Uh, I, uh. I guess my mom was there, too. I don't know, because it's... Uh, but, uh, I, I, I certainly probably shouldn't have been seeing it, but yeah, it was just on, and like I think I just didn't know what I was watching because, of course, at the time I couldn't read, so it's not like I'm reading yeah. the credits and going, "Oh yes, Porky's, this is the one." Uh, but, but <laughs> so, yeah, so does so, that mean Porky's is your first R-rated movie? I guess it has to be. I can't wow. think of any other R-rated movie that I would have seen earlier than that. I'm trying to think of my first R-rated movie because my, my parents would, would show us stuff that um, wasn't appropriate either for our age. <laughs> and, and the one that comes to mind, it, it, it's either Coming in, uh, coming to America or The Shining. <laughs> and I would have been like six or yeah. seven. My second was probably Full Metal Jacket. I know I saw Jesus that Christ, one when I was six or seven. Movie, dude. That... <laughs> yeah, I shouldn't have seen that when I was that young either. <laughs> The courtesy of a reach around, indeed. Okay, so Porky's. Um, so, what do you think about some of these other characters in here? Because uh, I, I mentioned Pee Wee, who's just sort of like earnest and the little guy, and uh, e- easily gullible, quite gullible, right? They convince him to do these things. Um, and, and the which character is the Jewish character? I think he's the other one that they really do a good job with in this film, out of the heroes. Oh, that would be, let me see if I can find, oh yeah, uh, the character is Brian Schwartz, played by Scott Columby, and yeah, I mean, he's he he's good, because he, again, he, like Pee Wee, he gets an arc, where, you know, we finally, where we, when we see him, you know, conf- confront anti-Semitism and really earn his place as one of the guys, um, and I, and I love this a bit, there's a bit towards the end, where he and another guy are going to sneak into Porky's to do, as they say, reconnaissance, and he's mm-hmm. like, you know, hey, Porky's for a lot of good old boys. I'm not sure they're going to want a Jewish guy walking in there. He's like, oh, that's okay. I'll just use a fake name. What do you think about Brian O'Malley O'Toole? And like, he keeps <laughs> suggesting these ridiculously Irish names. <laughs> this is cover identity. I love that scene. That is so sweet. <laughs> it's funny, and then he doesn't like look Irish at all either. He because it takes place in the 50s. A lot of people have that slicked back hair, oh, the yeah. more formal clothing. Uh, which is really something, um, but you know, and 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 uh, Anthony meets Tuparello. He gets he he doesn't really get an arc. 
well, I guess he kind of does get an arc because, like, you know, he has his highs and lows. Uh, but he has a great personality. <laughs> like, he's just he does everything to eleven, and I just I, I I like a good meathead character who's not a jerk. He There's something kind of me, endearing about him. Yeah, he reminds me a bit of um, the cop that's the assistant to um, Smokey and Smokey and the Bandit. Mm. The kind of it, bigger guy that was sort of dunderheaded. I, I can't recall the guy's name, but so someone else I like a lot. There's yeah. uh, Coach Coach Brackett, <clears throat> and when mm. Coach Brackett is in, he's he's the younger of the two coaches. He's paired up with Coach Warren. Um, when when they're introduced and they keep cutting back to them, Coach Brackett and Coach Warren are like the Rosencrantz and Guildenstern of this movie. Yeah, yeah. But then. Halfway through, Coach Brackett accomplishes one of his goals, and it completely changes his life. And then by the end of the movie, he's teamed up with the rest of the gang and has a big part of it in the climax of this film. So he's another character that has a really good arc and whose story I like. One performance I think is overlooked in this film is Nancy Parsons as Coach Ballbrecker. And it's a role that is kind of... You know, could be kind of embarrassing, I think, in the wrong hands, but she gives the character a bit of a dignity. She's just a sort of a hard-ass female coach. Well, I think it works because she's a perfect straight man for this movie. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Like, she she never really heightens it. Uh, She's always takes... Her character takes things deathly seriously. She never cracks. (laughs) Um, I mean, the only thing thing that's really regrettable, and it's also just one of those perfect things where her last name is... Ballbreaker, but everyone calls her Ballbreaker. Ballbreaker, sure. It's like I that's that's exactly the kind of nickname situation that would happen amongst students at a high school. I know because I was there. Um, and the only the only thing that's really regrettable is that there are a lot of cheap shots taken at her uh, based on her weight that really get gratuitous. I mean, I think that's part of the character and part of you know guys being kind of goofy. I I, I did take so much offense at that. Uh, <clears throat> Another character that's good casting is Chuck, or actor that's good casting is Chuck Mitchell as Porky. I mean, you think oh, of, yeah. he, he owns the strip club. This guy looks like he he walked um, a, a, out of a cartoon or something, but he just looks perfect. He's a big guy. He's intimidating. He has kind of a, a sick sense of humor. He he likes to humiliate people, and uh, at the end he gets his comeuppance. But he's a good. I don't know if I'd say bad guy, but he's he's definitely the heel of the movie. Well, I mean, he, well, he's he's. They imply that he's a crooked businessman, and keep and keep in mind, mm-hmm. um, you know, he does he does take the kids' money before he humiliates them. Right. So I think he, that's kind of the line. <laughs> he's he's been doing the scam for quite some time. Uh, and, and what did you think about Kim Cattrall as Miss Honeywell? It's not much of a part. It's it, okay. So I I I like it. I I liked I liked her in this part. She's undeniably Kim Cattrall. It's it's funnily enough. Like I look at this and like you know I could believe that this is the prequel to her Sex in the City character. Um, <laughs> and I like like I I like this. I love the scene where where we find out why she's called Lassie. There's so much stuff going going on in that scene. Um, I just wish she had a bit more of a presence afterwards. Like, after that, she's just kind of in the background. Like, she doesn't really have much to do with the rest of the film. This is one of those movies that takes place at a high school, but all the actors look like they're in their 20s or early 30s. (laughs) 
Yeah, although oh, they even comment about that. We were coach, uh, we're, we're, we're coach uh, brackets like, hey, I'm not, I'm not that old. I'm only 23. Yeah. Uh, all right. So what do you think? I mean, let's talk about the movie proper now that we've talked about the characters a bit and our experiences watching it for the first time. Um, it, you mentioned it does take its time in the beginning, which I agree with, but I think that's kind of nice. You get sort of character moments of the guys screwing around with each other. And you get to see the the gym and everything and the school. Yeah, I mean they do they do a good job setting the scene, and I love like th- that very first prank where uh, you know Pee Wee comes up and the one guy's just kind of juggling eggs. Like, what are those eggs for? Yeah. Are these eggs here? And he like tosses one egg over and it smashes. Well, I know you know what these are for. These eggs are for you. How'd you like to wear one? And like slams the egg in his face, but it's a hard boiled egg, so yolk doesn't get everywhere. And that's the prank. You make the guy flinch. And he's like, hey, that's a great prank. He's like, hey, why don't you do that to meat? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so he says, here's, here's the hard-boiled egg, and here's the raw egg, so you can do the whole thing. But, of course, they give him two raw eggs. So when sure. Pee Wee gets to the, we thought you might want to wear it, and slams the egg into, <laughs> into meat's face, it explodes, yolk goes everywhere. Uh, meat chases him around. There's there's something that I I like that all the guys in this movie are friends. It's not the usual like jock nerd or clique divisions we tend to see uh, in in other movies set around a high school. And I love the fact that as crazy as their pranks get, it's really all good fellowship like between between all the all these guys. Like, I I really really like that they all stay friends no matter what goofy shit they do to each other. The other thing I notice. And this is something that I that I absolutely love is that the the girls are just as horny and pervy as the men. We just don't spend much time with what they're doing. Yeah, looking into this film, I, I found a, a vintage clip of, of Cisco and Ebert um, talking about this original Porky's. And Ebert, I think, misses the point entirely. He just says this is a film that is misogynist. It clearly hates women. I don't think that's that's the case at all. I mean, it's not nice to the to the culture ball breaker character certainly but it the guys want to get some the girls want to get some the guy you know one thing one thing that really rang true that i hadn't thought of in a while you know it's been God, like almost 20 years since i've been out of high school and uh but the feeling where you're your guys and and you're looking for girls and uh girls are kind of this mysterious thing like you're not quite sure how how to approach them and you have sort of that fear, that anxiety. I think that's something that, that rang true for me in this picture. Well, the other thing that I like is that, like, no one in this movie, none of the guys in this movie are studs. They're goofy high school guys. And even the ones that have probably had sex still mm-hmm. aren't all that mature about it. Like, you could only tell that they probably had sex because they're slightly mellower <laughs> than <laughs> the virgins. Right, they're but not- they're still dumb. But they're still dumb guys. So yeah, and in a lot of ways, that does that does uh, that does ring true. Also, uh, more male nudity in this than I expected. Sure. Um, I mean, it's not sexualized male nudity like it is for the female nudity, but lot lot of butts uh, and a little bit of crotch. Mm-hmm. Certainly. Um, and and not just in a locker room situation either, which I thought was interesting. Uh, so. This takes us to the the first prank, uh, I believe, where they oh, go to, yeah. where they the first real prank where they go to Porky's, right? Well, well, that's this Porky's is the is the second thing. The first the first thing is um, they so like very very early on, 
Um, and this and this is when you know uh, the the uh, the the southern the southern guy you know he uses, he uses the n word and gets called out on it. But they keep they keep talking about did did we find did we did we did we find the black guys? Like yeah yeah we did. Uh, and like there is no explanation for what the hell they're talking about. Mm-hmm. And uh, we finally find out. So what it is is they've decided so that they can all get laid. They go to the they're going to hire a prostitute. Yep. So they. They drive. So this is set in Florida, uh, in a fictional town. Of, what is it? Paradise Beach. I think it, it's supposed to be like in in the Everglades. Um. Oh, oh yeah, it's definitely Everglades adjacent. So they drive out into the Everglades to this uh, to this uh, shack. They do this whole thing with bird calls, uh, and they go inside. And inside, there's a prostitute played by Susan Clark, who goes by the name of Cherry Forever, which is a perfect, mm-hmm. perfect name for a. Uh, for a, a prostitute, um, and you know, talk, and uh, she even gets this great like May West moment where she has all the guys stripped down because the whole explanation is she has to check you for VD or else she won't go through with it. <laughs> and like you know, she's making a comment on all of their physiques, and yeah. it's just perfect May West timing. I really love that. Uh, and the guys keep arguing about like, okay, well, like what what order are we going to go in? Um, and finally, uh, so she goes into the back room with the two guys who arrange things. And she starts making fake sex noises, and the other guy's jumping up and down on a box spring. And, of course, they think some, some hot and heavy sex is going on. And there's just, uh, there's just, like, this tall black guy just with a smile on his face just in the corner of the room. So one of the guys who arranged all this, he takes a thing of red paint, and he starts <laughs> painting, like, wounds on him. Yeah. And, okay, are you ready? And the black guy just starts screaming, What are you doing with my wife? What are you doing with yeah. my wife? I'll kick your ass. <laughs> And starts they start smashing windows and throwing stuff around, and the guy with the red paint falls forward like he's been like he's been stabbed. And then the guy comes out, "What are you guys doing here?" And they all freak the hell out and all run naked through the swamp to get back to their cars. That is a goddamn amazing prank. And what's also good about it is afterwards you just see the black guy like laughing his ass off, like all the people that set up the prank <laughs> think it's the, the funniest thing. Like it's. Uh... And and poor Pee Wee is the one that gets caught by the cops and gets like humiliated, sort of like <laughs> the cops give him like an extra shirt to wear. So he just has, I think, like his <laughs> underpants maybe in this oversized, ill fitting cop shirt, meeting his No, he doesn't even the, have underwear. <laughs> he doesn't even have underpants, right, that's just covered up. Meeting his friends at the at the burger joint. And you just feel really bad for him. It's <laughs> But yeah, I mean that's a that's a good prank. I like how Bob Clark shoots these things in wide shots. There's oh not a lot yeah, of cutting to close up. You just sort of let the comedic moment play, just like he does with that egg bit in the beginning. And uh, and it's good because like you feel the tension. I think right, these guys are nervous. Oh, you yeah. don't quite know what's going to happen. They think th- these pranks all kind of work the same way. You know, you think something's going to happen, and then <laughs> they get surprised, and it kind of goes in the opposite direction. Oh yeah, and then and this is what leads to Porky's because Pee Wee's like, well, look, if we're just going to get laid, let's just go to Porky's and Porky's. It's over the county line. It's this juke joint that that uh, like they talk about it like it's like the Lost Kingdom of Atlantis. They mm-hmm. don't, and you can go upstairs. And they got this room called Porky's Pen, and they got these Cuban girls, and like 
like, like you, you can tell that half of what they know about Porky's is just rumor. Uh, and like the only one who seems to know what goes down, it really goes down at Porky's is the Southern guy. Cause like they, they imply that that's where, that's where he's from. Uh, you know, he's, he's from that side of the County line. Uh, and something that this movie does get right. And I say this as somebody uh, who grew up on the dividing line uh, between uh, the, the East coast and the good old boy South they get all the good old boy South details in this movie exactly right. Hmm. Like, where like, well, where you got your local plutocrats, everybody's kind of in bed with each other. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the you know the sheriff and the and the semi honest businessman have their hands in each other's pockets. Uh, you know they you know, very. It's it was like that. Uh, what was it that uh, common people song? Everybody hates a tourist. Well, that's that's a real vibe you can get when you walk into a southern dive bar and you're clearly not a local. Certainly, and um, that you get the sense like they're on someone else's turf. Oh and, yeah, and something's bad going to happen, and something bad does happen. Uh, and and yeah. but speaking of you know strip clubs, when was the first time you went to a strip club? Oh gosh, I think Were you were in high school or. No, no, it, it would have been it would have been college. I'm trying to, I'm trying to. Yeah, I guess it would probably would have been uh, would have been 2001, I suppose. Because the first time I went is when you took me for Jason's 21st birthday. Well, that was his idea, but yeah, <laughs> yes. But I, I went with you guys to that. That was the first time I went to one, and. Um, since then, I've only been to one other one, and that one was in Portland, Oregon. But it, it there is it, it is kind of a ritual, I think, for for guys going to a strip club. Yeah, it's 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 one of the few it's one of the few venues where communal horniness is acceptable and expected. Right, and it's for whatever reason, it's considered less embarrassing than a porno theater, which don't exist anymore anyway. Uh not really. P- Portland, Oregon had had one that that closed down people would call it the jack shack where they just would show stuff all day and you pay money for an all-day pass but um I, I was tempted to go in as a joke with a friend that was visiting in town but as a it, joke yes but it was a little bit expensive and like they described it in such disgusting ways like oh there's all these different people jacking off in the back and they're often having sex and i was just like I, i'm not that interested and <laughs> Paying $20 a pop to see that kind of thing. But thanks for letting me know so I don't waste my money ahead of time. Well, remember, once a philosopher. Uh, yes, but, but speaking of wasting money ahead of time, when these kids in the movie go to Porky's, they they have a deal where, okay, they're underage, but they want to have, have sex with one of the strippers, so they collect, um, was they it collect- like 20 bucks a piece? Like, it's a lot of money back then. Well, they do. Yeah, I believe they end up paying like one hundred and twenty, one hundred and thirty dollars to to Porky's, and this is after this great like negotiation scene. <laughs> it was like we want five of them for an hour. I can get you two of them for an hour. All right. Well, what about three of them for a half hour? And they you know go back and forth. And this is after they all snuck in with fake IDs, uh, and and one uh, Sunday school card, <laughs> which is a real thing. I used to have one. Um, Why would you need a separate ID for Sunday school? I don't. I honestly don't know. I just. I just know I was given one by our church, hmm. but it was like a, a real thing. Um, okay. But 
you know they they make you know they they make the arrangements they 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 pick out they pick out the women and and this is after you know Porky's like look I don't want underage kids in here I want to keep my liquor license um and finally he says okay well here's what you do you see that door there you go through that door it's going to be dark you close the door behind you there's a door in front of you you knock twice there's going to be a respond and knock you go that's when you know the girls are ready you go through and you know this whole this whole thing and all the guys are really excited they go through that door and <laughs> porky goes over to this like he pulls out this like lever it's like y'all ready you're gonna have a notch you'll never forget <laughs> and he pulls the lever Turns out that room he sent him to, they're standing over a trap door. That's how they get rid of the riffraff. The bottom falls out. They fall right into the Everglades swampland. <laughs> yeah, and the water looks suitably gross. And We know what it is. You never see porkies in the daytime, so you have no idea how nasty that water might be. The fact that you only ever see it in darkness, and you never really see the vibrant ecosystem around it just makes it seem so unsavory. And, but and they, it's clear they've done this before because as they're getting out of the water, Porky's and all his good old boys are out laughing their ass off. Oh, everyone thinks it's great. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, they, they climb out of the water and like they, 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 start, they start raising hell. And then the sheriff shows up and the sheriff's like, you, you boys all the way from Paradise Beach, you know, you're going to get a fine if you drive without a taillight, with a headlight out. But a headlight's not out, smashes the headlight. He goes around smashing lights on all their cars and charging them money. He's like, now you can just pay me now. We can forget all about this. You all can go home. So not only have they gotten scammed by Porky, who they paid a bunch of money to, now they're getting scammed by the local sheriff. It's later we find out that Porky's is the older brother of the sheriff. Um and uh, this is what really turns them against Porky's. And so, you know, they all leave. But the Southern and I'm, so, I keep, I'm sorry, I keep forgetting the Southern guy's name. But the Southern guy, there's a running thread from this point on where he keeps going back to Porky's for revenge. And each time he comes back, he's more and more beaten up. Yeah, the Southern like he guy's comes name. back with like some some bruises. Then he comes back with some mm. cuts. The last time he comes back, he has a collapsed lung and multiple broken ribs and he can't stand up under his own power. He looks close to death. Yeah, that character is uh, Mickey Jarvis, and he's played by Roger Wilson. Mm. And I think that is an interesting choice where the first time he goes back to Porky's for revenge, or pretty much every time, you don't see him do it. You just see him come back, and you see the uh, the wounds on him. And I think that's so much more effective, because then you can imagine, like, whoa, what would that fight have been like? Yeah, and we and, and you know from from this point forward, it's sort of like more it's more pranks, more hijinks around the high school, uh, a, a lot of that stuff until finally they decide to get revenge on Porky's. Um, so the revenge is in this film, not in Porky's. The revenge, uh, oddly enough, yes. Although I'll be curious when we come to Porky's revenge, what Porky does that's so bad that they have to get revenge on him again because what they do at the end of this picture is pretty. Uh, pretty, pretty intense revenge. Yeah, pretty big scale revenge. Yeah. Um, so I figure before we get to that, though, we probably ought sure. to talk about some of the other set pieces. Well, the, the shower scene. I mean, that that's the big one, right? Yeah, it's a sta- it's established early on that if you go through this window into the basement and go through this like remove a cinder block from a wall and shimmy your way through. You get into this uh, duct work in the high school, and there's a pi- there's a pipe you can lift to look into the uh, the woman's shower, and right off the bit, like it's it's very conveniently placed. What do you think is supposed to be in those holes in the wall? Mm, drugs. 
I guess, like architecturally and engineering wise, the holes in the shower walls serve absolutely no purpose, like other than peeping. So I'm honestly shocked not everybody knows about this and they haven't already sealed it up. But you know, there's there's an initial. Ch- they try to use it to spy on the girls, and uh, and they and they fail. Uh, the second time, the second time, it kind of really escalates because they you know they see they see the girls showering and talking, <clears throat> but one of them. This one, this one woman keeps standing in front of one of the. Uh, I think it's Pee Wee's people, yeah. and he gets so sick of it, he just screams, "Tom, would you move it, you lard ass?" <laughs> uh, and that's when the girls realize there's holes and they're being spied on. But some of the some of the girls decide to to fuck with the guys, which I I absolutely love, and. Like one of the guys just says, "Well, hell, he sticks his tongue through the hole." And so what they do is they take soap scum off of the uh, the soap dish and just splatter it all over his tongue, which is a great a great comeuppance for him. But he decides he wants this to escalate even further, so he sticks his penis through the hole. Uh, the girls run away. That's when uh, Miss Balbricker comes in. She sees the penis, and this is the most slapstick scene in the movie. This is. Aside from the ending, this is, uh, I guess, the trap door. This is as close to being a cartoon as the movie comes. She grabs hold of the penis and tries to pull him through the hole, yeah. penis first. And it's it's this really, strangely enough, tense scene. It's just like she's got her feet up on the wall and she's pulling and she's pulling. You know, he finally, he finally escapes. And that's when they cut to what was one of the funniest scenes in the movie where Miss Balbricker is talking to the principal and some of the other coaches and she's trying to explain, like, she wants the people responsible for spying on the girls to, to be punished, as she should. And she believes she can identify the culprit by his penis. She just needs a random lineup of guys with their pants down. And I love that she never breaks, but that the three people in the background keep cracking up throughout this scene. And the principal gets more and more embarrassed. It is a perfect bit of comical dialogue and then the end they zoom in on the picture of president eisenhower and even in the picture president eisenhower has a smirk like he's trying to suppress laughter well i mean with that bit i don't think you're selling the laughter or not they're just not laughing they're laughing so hard they're crying and hooting and hollering like they're really doing uh, an extreme reaction and then in the foreground you have you have the principal you know, not wanting to say penis or wanting to call it a tallywhacker or something that just makes people want to laugh even more. Which, which is a worse name. <laughs> yes, it is. It is. Uh, and, and I mean, really, that this um, gym teacher wants to look at, at underage penises to identify the culprit. I mean, that that's also weird in itself. Uh, and they're like, oh, do you want posters around the school? Do you want to... <laughs> it's... Yeah, it's a very good scene that just, uh, and I like that it goes on too, because you think it's going to end and it just keeps going and going and going. It's a sustained shot. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the three people in the background cracking up, they are either the three greatest actors who ever lived, or they weren't told what the scene was about, and that is their honest reaction. Maybe, but there has to be outtakes where other people are laughing. I can't imagine... <clears throat> Uh, the the way the uh, ball breaker and the principal are just pretty stone faced throughout most of the thing <laughs> until I think the very end where even the principal starts laughing. Yeah, even he starts to crack it, up. It, um, is really something. So that's an amazing set piece. There's also there's also a thread throughout this. So one of the one of the boys, uh, his father just got out of prison for manslaughter, 
and you know, and his father's a real a real ass. Um, and we've come to find out the father the father is abusive, and and it and the father's abusive behavior keeps building until uh, until he and uh, he and Schwartz both sort of team up against the father because like the the father it turns mm-hmm. out the father's also anti-Semitic and tries to pick a par- pick a fight uh, with Schwartz. Actually, no, it is the anti-Semitic guy. It's his father, isn't it? It is, yeah, which makes yeah. the turnaround, um, I think, pretty nice because, yeah, the way they they come together and finally, you know, the 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 son is like, you know, I don't want I don't want you in my life anymore. This is the last time you're going to beat me up, uh, and it's really it's really great, you know, the uh, the he gets a few good hits in on the dad. Uh, Brian Schwartz gets a few good hits in on the dad, and one of the coaches even comes up and witnesses this and says, "Well, you just committed assault on school property. Uh, I'm going to get a peace bond issued so that you, you know." which I guess is an old version of a restraining order. You know, you won't be able to come anywhere near this school or mm. near this boy. Um, you know, I like that. I like that. The, I like that. The, the, uh, the racist asshole father gets his comeuppance and, you know, finally, finally his son, his son is out of his life. The son, the son has a, a face turn, which is pretty nice. Yeah. It, it's a, it's a scene that even though the father, I think this is maybe the only scene or he's in, or maybe he's in one other scene. It's enough that you know what that character is, and the, the confrontation is yeah. satisfying, and it helps give um, some meat to the bones of what otherwise I think would be sort of a two-dimensional sort of movie. Yeah, the the only thing that doesn't that doesn't quite hold up about the scene is that the uh, is that you know the father's like I'll make a man out of you yet, boy, and 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 the son says, man, if being a man means being like you, I'd rather be queer, and. On the on the one hand, I love his rejection of his father's definition of masculinity. Uh, it's a shame they had to tie it. They had to, to tie it to homosexuality like that. You have to think of when this was made. Oh, oh, yeah, and, and the time period. I think the the context for that. No, it's, it's just it's just it's one of a, it's one of a handful of things that that does kind of unfortunately date the movie. But other than that, it's a very powerful scene. Sure, um, and. I mean, so the last time when Mickey comes back and he's beaten so badly, all his ribs are broken, his lung is collapsed, it, like he said, that is what motivates the guys. Like, okay, we're going to get our revenge on Porky's once and for all. Yeah, and uh, <clears throat> and uh, Coach Coach Brackett, that's also what Coach Brackett wants to get in on it. And the whole reason Coach Brackett wants to get in on it, he's got nothing to lose. So we talked about Coach Brackett um and Coach Warren being the Rosencrantz and Gilderstern. So, um, we did not talk Ms. about Honeywell. Yeah, so, so Honeywell, uh, Miss Lynn Honeywell, is that uh, Coach Warren, because Coach Bracken makes a comment that he would love to get with, with Honeywell, and Coach Warren says, oh, you want to get with Lassie? And there's this running gag where they keep cutting back. It's like, you got to tell me why they call her Lassie. Like, hey, just take her upstairs. You'll find out. Well, finally, he does. He does put a highly successful move on Coach Honeywell, um, and they decide to go. They decide to go upstairs. There's a scene. I this. I think they're they're trying to almost make Miss Honeywell one of the guys because as because uh, when she's caught canoodling uh, with Coach Breckett, uh, Coach Ballbreaker calls her out on it, and she just starts yelling at Miss Ballbreaker, uh, and it's. It, it it goes too far. It really stops being funny. Mm. 
like I like that she can be foul mouthed. I like that that she has a life where she's not as prim and proper as she initially seems. But that scene goes on way too long. But anyway, they go upstairs. Turns out Honeywell has a fetish. The smell of soiled men's athletic garments really gets her bubbles going. And that's something that you even today you almost never see uh, female characters that not only have a fetish, but we get to see them really enjoy that fetish. So she gets unbelievably turned on. Uh, she and Coach Brackett completely go at it. Turns out the reason she's called Lassie is when she orgasms, she makes these howling, screeching noises. And she is so loud, the entire gym hears her. And this just goes on and on and on. She does these great faces. There's a lot of great physical comedy there. It is also gets pretty cartoonish. There's a bit where to get her to quiet down, he grabs a pair of soiled gym socks and puts them in her mouth. And you can see by her expression that she likes that even more. So she starts screaming even louder through the socks. So... Uh, Miss Ballbreaker, of course, says she's going to get uh, she's going to get uh, Breckett fired for moral turpitude. So that's why I think Breckett goes along with his revenge plan. Uh, he he knows he's probably not going to be employed by the school by the same time next year. So if he's going to go out, he's going to go out with a bang. Right, and uh, I'm glad you mentioned that about the fetish. I, I never thought of that, but you're right. It, it, whenever they had that in, in these kind of sex comedies, it's usually a man that has the fetish. It's treated in in a negative light, like it's weird. And I think with with fetishes in general, everyone has their own thing that works for them. And as long as you're not harming the other person and both people are on the same page and okay with it, let them do what they want. Well, it's it's the old, it's the old uh, watchwords of keeping it safe, sane, and consensual. Exactly. Yep. But but I think and I think that's the other thing that really makes this stand, movie stand out. Um, the the biggest perv in this movie is the female character. It's it's uh, it's Lynn Honeywell. Yeah, that, that's an inspired uh, inspired twist. And she would also appear to have the the uh, the she would also appear to have the most healthy and active attitude towards sex. Because this certainly isn't the first time it's happened. Oh no, no! And she seems to be okay with it. She she, mm-hmm. she displays absolutely no shame. Right, and the uh, and you know that that's her her place of choice. It's not her first time doing it in that room either. <laughs> Perhaps maybe like she has special jack straps that she has in her collection that she brings to hang up in the room. Well, uh, hopefully she's not actually stealing that stuff because then, then, then it's now now it's a criminal offense. Underwear theft is still theft. True. It is. It and is. underwear possession is still nine tenths of underwear law. Yes, and with um. Also, I I hope she um practices some kind of hy- hygiene afterwards with the dirty jock strap in the mouth. We well, you know what's funny is uh, speaking of hygiene is that there's constant references to condoms in this movie. There's the prank with the giant condom, but then there are also mm-hmm. like there are several references to like you know who, okay, well who's going to get the condoms, who's got condoms currently, do the, do the condoms fit? And this is back when condoms were harder to come by and yeah, were pretty yeah. much exclusively the purview of, of sailors. Uh, and if that, okay, so a bit, a bit, a bit of family history here. Oh. So my uh, my paternal grandfather, he and his brother 
this was, I think this was, this was before, right before he went to medical school, he and his brother had gotten a hold of some condoms. And this is before the, in, this is before the invention of latex condoms. I'll let you know how far back this goes. These were vulcanized, vulcanized rubber condoms that you had, that you had to sterilize between uses because they didn't come in disposable. They weren't disposable at the time. Um, so, uh, yeah, so he and his brother each got one. Um, he, uh, he went out somewhere. His mother, uh, decided to be nice and, and, and tidy up his room, found the condoms, mm. threw them out. When he and his brother got home in his own, in his own words, his mom beat the shit out of them. I bet. I bet. <laughs> just, just to let you know how attitudes towards safe sex have changed over the centuries. Well, I have a condom story as well. And, and this, I mean, this was something that happened in the, I think 1999 or something. We had... It was it was Halloween or whatever day was closest to it. I, I don't know what day it fell on. And uh, at the thirtieth, what? <laughs> the thirtieth. Well, okay, yes. I was talking about the day of the week, but sure. And um, <laughs> in 1999 or thereabouts, and I was a junior in high school, and people would wear costumes to school, right? And sometimes teachers would wear costumes. Well, this one uh, <laughs> kind of joker in the class dressed himself up as a made-up superhero, Captain Com- Captain Captain Condom. And he would run around with the, he had a, I think like a trick-or-treat um, bucket full of condoms that he was running around giving to people. And they almost expelled him for that. And I'm like, why? He's doing a service. That That is actually true. I, how, how old were, how old was he or you at the time? Uh, 17. Yep, he's doing a service. I think so. like, uh, I mean, I frankly. Sex at that time, but a lot of other people were and people that act like, High school, uh, even middle school, to some degree, uh, people don't have sex or are fooling themselves. Yeah, I mean it's it, it's it's the kind of thing that you you might as well be prepared. Yeah, uh, and that's uh, so. In a way, he was a real superhero. That's right, and that he almost got expelled for that. I thought was ridiculous, but in, this was like in the this was like twenty years ago. It wasn't that long ago, really, and uh, had an attitude that I think was just as. In some ways, and similar to what you said about your maternal grandfather, uh, and, but this is also in the South, and I think in the South they're more um, strict about that sort of thing. Well, I mean, my my grandfather's story also took place in the South, so in, in Virginia or what? <clears throat> uh, it, uh, it, it, yes, it was uh, in in Virginia. Yeah, um, I mean, in fact, one last thing, then we'll go back to this film. Uh, at one of the school dances, I guess there was complaints about girls wearing. Uh, inappropriate underwear, so they would pull the girls aside and check their underwear. They got in which deep is shit so much that. worse. I think I, I think that you want to talk about a sex crime. I think that's a sex crime, really. But yeah. no, nobody got fired for that. No one got expelled for that. They did a half-assed apology. But like that's deeply, deeply inappropriate. Now, now you can say like the length of the skirts, which I don't agree with that either. But and have a ruler or something like okay, if you want to do that, fine. But to check people's underpants for thongs is that's f- fucked is up really fucked up it, it was women uh checking for that it wasn't like a, a man doing it but still that doesn't make it okay at all and this was in the late 90s like some stuff hasn't changed that much and i, I would oh, hope yeah. things are a bit more progressive now um it, at that I would school hope in too, but... georgia that i went to but i don't know 
So after these set pieces, yes. we finally get the showdown at Porky's. And this is one thing that I love is that, like, they really do keep the details of their plan to get back at Porky's, like, secret. Like, we really don't know what they're doing. We just see all the guys. They sneak out. They sneak out to Porky's. We see them we see them carrying around bundles of dynamite. We see them, uh, mm. we see them with tools. We see them with a chainsaw. We see them like mess with different things. It's a bit like a wily coyote, isn't it? Oh, you yeah. know, yes, except their plan works. Mm-hmm. Um, and we also see them do stuff at the sheriff's station. That's, that's apparently just, just slightly down the street from Porky's. Um, so finally, uh, after a whole night of prep at Porky's, they wait until Porky's closes down, which, okay, I will say this. A place like Porky's probably doesn't close down until like three or later. Like you probably see the sun peeking over the horizon mm-hmm. before it shuts down, but I'll forgive that for the movie. So it's the middle of the night. It, sh- it shuts down. It's just Porky, some of his good old boys, some of the girls inside. So Pee Wee goes in and challenges Porky to a fight. It's like, you come on out with your guys. We got our guys. We're going to have it out. And Porky's like, well, hell, I'm going ki- to kick your ass. And I love the even plans. Like, hey, if guns get drawn, let's just run, which is in that type of environment is something that is very likely. So anyway, yeah, Porky's, uh, Porky comes out with his, with his gang of people and sees all the guys assembled. You know what? You got us pretty scared, Porky. We're just going to turn tail and run. It's like, yeah, you better get out of here. All right, let's go. And it turns out they've weakened the supports on Porky's, and they've got some. T- they've got steel cables connecting some other supports to their cars and a tow truck they've rented. Mm-hmm. They all pull off in different directions. They bring Porky's down. The entire thing collapses into the Everglades. And just the sh- that triumphant shot of the big neon sign, which was the first thing we saw in this movie, the sign that sign collapsing and starting to malfunction as it collapses looks so good. And they don't sweeten it. There's no pyrotechnics going right. off. There's just realistic minor sparking as some of the neon tubes break. If this was done today, they would throw in so many unnecessary sparks and fireballs and things. I love how plausible this demolition works. And of course, Porky's furious. So he calls, he calls his little brother, the sheriff. So they all, they all pile into the car. Turns out they rigged the car so that forward is actually reverse and the car backs up and falls into the Everglades. So they all get out of the Everglades, jump into their second car and like, this car's fine. No, it's not. Cause it turns out they loosened all the bolts uh-huh. on the wheels. So all the wheels fall off. You said this car is fine. So, uh, <laughs> so the sheriff and his, and his deputies, they have to run to Porky's. Uh, and so Porky's and the rest of his gang, they're all on the balcony screaming as this place comes down. Finally, the balcony collapses. They all get wet. Um, the girl who, uh, who, uh, took her top off for them when they first went to Porky's also falls into the water. Um, so they pull out of there. So. Porky, his brother, the sheriff, they get into Porky's pink, uh, fancy pink car and start chasing the gang. I, I love Porky's this, car. It's big, it's pink, it makes pig noises. They say, And they save it for the end, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Like, I, like, I'm shocked that we didn't get a lot of pornographic shots of this car. It's, it's, such, it's so much better that it surprises us, this pig mobile at the end. And so he chases them. They get him to chase him all the way over the county line, where they have assembled the entire high school, including the cheerleaders and the marching right. band, who start doing a whole routine. <laughs> yeah. And as a 
and as a ba- high school band person, I really appreciated that. Um, and then, so we, we we come to learn throughout the movie that Porky's has a basically wronged almost everybody in this movie on some level. Um, I would love to hear some other people's stories. But, you know, one of the characters' older brother is a local cop for theirs. Like, oh, you're over the county line, so Sheriff, you've got no authority. Uh, also, you're driving with your taillight out. And he smashes the he smashes the taillight, smashes the headlight, smashes the pig-shaped hood ornament, shoots the engine to find him for a busted radiator. It's like, hey, now y'all can just go back over the county line after after paying me cash, and we'll forget about this. So you know, he takes some money from Porky, and Porky's doesn't want this to turn into a federal case because, like, you mean to tell me you had some underage boys in your club, uh-huh. Porky? Because this could be a federal case. And, and I love that Porky is keeping his cool because he's the businessman. He doesn't want his business ruined. So finally, Porky's, the sheriff, and their cronies have to push their car back to the wreckage of Porky's. Um, and this is something that I like. So that's the climax. The credits start immediately. But we get a little denouement. We get a little falling action because the the movie keeps going. And finally, Pee-wee loses his virginity because it turns out they made a bet with Wendy, his ex-girlfriend, that if they could pull this scheme off, she'd have sex with him. It's like, well, okay. And they go into a bus. They have sex. Pee-wee does his little Tarzan move. And apparently he's fairly good because Wendy's hand reaches out and pulls him back down into the vehicle. So Pee-wee also gets – Pee-wee and Wendy get their arcs as well. And – the more I look at this, the more I wish more movies, especially comedies, did this, where instead of lingering after the climax, you just start the credits immediately, but still give us a little bit of action to put a bow on everything. To have footage at the end credits is was pretty unusual at this time in the early 80s. You, like, aside from smoking the bandit, but even then, that was outtakes. That was out, yeah, if, if you, anything would be outtakes, or I always think of the, in Asia, the uh, Jackie Chan, right, would do his... Stunts gone wrong on the, on the end credits. All the bloopers and stuff, yeah. But, but this with the, the ongoing scenes. Um, I, I mean, one movie that did this really strangely was the um, the all-female uh, sort of reboot of Ghostbusters um, that, that we talked about earlier on the show, where in the end credits, uh, there is a scene where the, the bad guy controls the cops and makes them dance, and the end credit shows a more extended version of that dance sequence. And it's like, yeah. do people want to see a deleted scene at the end of a movie? Like, it, that just struck me as odd. Well, it's it's weird because, like, well, we filmed all this, but we're not going to – we're going to put it in the movie, but we're not going to put it where it takes place in the film. We'll just put it at the end. And, and, it makes it seem like such an afterthought, right, such a and, wasted effort. Frankly, that movie could have used that dance sequence because the way it plays in the film is quite abbreviated and – Strange, like it's like even why? Yeah, bother, not all that fun. Yeah, why bother making them dance for two seconds and then cut to more uh, ghost, more monsters? Um, so there is, uh, but yeah, I mean, I think I'm trying to think of a comedy that, you know, one comedy that did have an amusing scene that played during the end credits was there's something about Mary. It had the whole cast lip sync and dance to "Build Me Up Buttercup." Oh, that was fun. Which, which while had nothing to do with the plot, was, was something kind of nice, and. Uh, and people would stay for the end credits for that. And now with all these Marvel Cinematic Universe movies having these sometimes important scenes buried at the end of these like 15-minute credit sequence, the audience in theaters, I don't know if you've noticed, just sort of trained <laughs> to stay through the credits and they're disappointed when they don't see something. Well, yeah, though at the same time, even at a Marvel movie, uh, in my experience, almost all the time, two-thirds of the people get up and walk out the moment the credits start. <laughs> Yeah, and in fact, 
one movie that does come to mind where it did a, a super important scene in the end credits that people walked out on uh, before the, the scene came on was the end of Kill Bill Volume 1. Huh. Where I think it says, like, her daughter is still alive, maybe? Yeah, it's like, the, yeah, mm-hmm. and and uh, we actually see a bit of Bill, and uh, he talks about he talks about the daughter being being alive, and he knows where she is. And I think the only reason I saw that is that before I saw the movie, somebody said, I'm not going to tell you why, but just sit through the credits. Yep. So, I mean, Perky's, I, I would give a, a sequel yes, yes to. It was much better than I, I thought it would be. It has... Some funny set pieces. It, I mean, it, at the end, it is. I, I did think it was a bit mean with cult coach uh, Ballbricker that um, she is kind of crazed and obsessed, saying, like, I know whose penis this is, like, running around at the very end. Oh, yeah, when she tries to take the guy's pants off. Oh, yeah. I felt a bit bad for her then, but I think, you know, overall, this is, this is a pretty good movie. I like that it, uh, that it fights against the, the racism to a degree and uh, I'll, I'll be curious what they do with the sequel because this doesn't end in a way that make you think there's going to be a second one aside from more adventures <laughs> with the guy they destroyed Porky's at the end of this movie they destroyed the strip club but uh, you know what's next I, I have no idea get other guys laid get the well in <laughs> well so we see in, in the in the I, I'm not sure what they're going to do in this. Well, in the second one, Pee Wee is going to get uh, frozen in carbonite. But then in mm. the third one, turns out they're building a second Porky's and it's almost complete. And they've got to team up with some Everglades people to, to stop it. And there's even a scene where Porky's is in there. I'm afraid this battle station going to be completely operational. That's right. And uh, the um, in that one, isn't it right that the kids team up with a uh, a group of small orphan children from from a nearby <laughs> orphanage who use their uh, engineering prowess to fight back against Porky and the cops and, and set up uh, trip lines and things for the the cars. This is an amazingly terrible idea we've come up with, isn't it? Um, would you give this? There'll film? be some prequels. Uh, uh, yeah. Okay. There, there'll be prequels. Who who can forget? Um, Porky's origins, in which we learn about the two and pigs from which Porky's takes its name. We learned about the we also, you know, the neon. We also learned that that uh, that Peewee's father has the highest Mitabakian count of uh, of any uh, horny high schooler. And then, of course, there's uh, the Porks Awakens, which is when they do the new series. The Porks Awakens it has um, it, it is. I, I've heard more of a modern remake of Porky's, but the one that you really have to watch for <laughs> is the last Pork Guy, in which, in which I was going to say the last ribeye, but I think you got the better name. Yeah, the last Pork Guy, Pork Guy, and uh, Porky's grandson has has the ability um, to to wield a piece of bacon like no other, and and he has kind of a divided allegiance and seeing how that plays out in a really moving scene where, where they, they, they burn his bacon collection is, is really quite something. It's strange enough, Mark Hamill dies in that one as well. But of course, this summer, we get to see it all end with the rise of Ballbricker. Yeah, and, and, and the rise of, of Ballbricker, uh, d- despite the name, she, she finds a way by, by um, 
hitting a man in the balls so hard, it actually increases the size of his tallywhacker. And, and because of that, the, uh, the peewee gets, um, gets, gets engorged in such a way where he can finally lay the biggest cheerleader on the block, even though now he's in his 50s and that's kind of a creepy goal to keep going back to the high school. So is this going to become a recurring thing now where for every movie we try to create a Star Wars trilogy? Sure. Um, a trilogy of trilogies. But, but let, let's go to pitch a sequel. Oh, yeah. We, we sort of did, but to do something, I think, a, a little bit more uh, serious. Uh, the idea I had in mind was you would you would do something with... Uh, I actually would, would do a prequel have about the Porky's character, make him younger, and, and make him somehow sympathetic, I think would be sort of interesting. And, and give him a reason as to what, like, what inspires him to make a strip club that just rips off of kids. So we'd, we'd see him as like a young, idealistic, horny man yes. whom we see his arc as he becomes a corrupt, uh, a, a corrupt businessman? Yeah, he becomes corrupt. And there'd be a, a bit with his brother, too, where his brother is, likes, co- likes uh, shows like Dragnet and things on TV and... I guess it'd have to be older. He would like old like radio shows about LA policemen or something, and then be inspired. And 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 they, I, I think, in the climax of that, they they would start like a kind of like an elementary school version of of Porky's, and almost get expelled for it. It's like the first version of him trying to do that. Oh, good lord! So it, it's like Porky. Porky. Porky, you were supposed to be the chosen one. No, I don't even remember the dialogue in that scene. Jesus, <laughs> you, you, we'll, we'll we'll do something with that. You are my brother, Porky. Okay, what about what's your picture? Sequel? I have the high ground. <laughs> okay, so I wonder. So my sequel, it's going to be a parallel movie. So, and you know how we talked about how how the the women in this are just as horny, just as pervy as the guys. Oh, yeah. So my sequel is going to be uh, is going to be uh, Porky's. Uh, Porky's the other side, where we're gonna learn, we're gonna learn what all the girls were up to during this movie, running mm. parallel to like all the guys' actions. So, and among other things, we're also gonna learn that Porky's has also wronged the girls as well, like by tricking them into coming over for a fake ladies' night, trying to recruit, because trying to recruit an, an underage girl uh, to be one of his strippers slash prostitutes. We, 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 and we, we will see Porky, of course, being a, being a real sack of shit uh, in this one. And, uh, but we'll also see any of the scenes that involved most of the girls and most of the guys interacting. We will see that scene again, but from, from the girl's perspective. So we will see the shower scene from the perspective of the girls. We will also see their revenge prank when they try to, uh, when they try to spy on the guys and I'm thinking what they're going to do is they're going to sneak into the guy's shower room and they're going to like uh, put some paint into the put some paint or some dye packets into the shower head and then reattach them so that the guys all get dyed like the school colors or something like mm-hmm. that. Although it'll probably backfire and like the, the administration would be like, oh, what a display of school spirit. Marvelous, marvelous. But we'll also make Ball Breaker a little slightly more sympathetic. We'll, you know, we'll, we'll learn what her quirks are. We know we'll, she'll, she'll have some endearing deep, dark secrets. Uh, <clears throat> and 
We'll also see, of course, the girls. The girls will be the ones who get everything organized so that the whole town and the marching band are there at the end for Porky's uh, inevitable uh, humiliation. And the scene that'll run during the credits of my sequel will be Wendy talking to the other girls about Pee Wee and like ranking how good in bed uh, he is. And that's when it'll be laid out. Who's a virgin, who's not, how good they are, what their various sizes are. Would it be like American Graffiti where it's a freeze frame and then you see it, the, the people's high school pictures in a text? No, no, they'll just be they'll just be It'd talking. Be dialogue, I see. Yeah, so they'll all be they'll all be like walking home after all the shenanigans at the end of that at the end of that movie. Uh, a prank came to mind. I don't. Can you tell me what movie this is? This prank is from. But when I watched this, it, it made me think about it. It's where they take the um, oh, what do you call it? They take like the the powder that people put in the jock strap. Oh, the itching powder? itching powder, and they put like um, like hot peppers or something in it. Or, or, or is it? It might be. Of I know that's a weird. Science? I know that's a prank, yeah. but I'm not sure what movie that's from. But I, I, I clearly remember some movie where there's a scene where the football players go to the field and they're all itching themselves and in pain and they can't do anything. Uh, anyhow. Yeah, I'm not sure uh, what that, what that is so from. If you know, listeners, uh, send us a tweet at SequelCast2 or send us an email, SequelCast at gmail.com, or leave a review on the Apple Podcast app. Um, all right, so I think you got a question, Mr. Thrasher. <laughs> and that question is, what you watching? Um, I don't know. I, I watch something, and I also listen to a good podcast, so I'll start with the podcast, I guess. Uh have you ever okay. listened to the Joe Rogan experience? No, no, I haven't. Uh, so so he's a, a comedian um, who is also really into, I, I guess, like fitness and some other stuff. His, his interviews kind of run hot and cold, but he did a really great one this past week, over two hours with Dan Aykroyd. Oh, wow. And some of it is about promoting Dan Aykroyd's Crystal Skull Vodka. But most of it of course. has nothing to do with his films. Instead, it's Dan Aykroyd showing he really knows his shit on UFO lore and Bigfoot lore. And uh, Joe Rogan doesn't really have much questions to ask him, but Dan Aykroyd just, like, unprompted, like, goes for 30-minute jags at a time into this, this deep cut with UFO lore, and he reveals something that broke my heart a little bit. At, oh, no. at one point, Sci-Fi Channel in the early 2000s, hired Dan Aykroyd to host a show where he talks to UFO experts. They filmed 24 episodes of it, and then right as they were filming the last episode, uh, talking to a, a noted UFOologist, um, Sci-Fi Channel pulled the plug and said, we're not going to air any of these episodes. So they've never been released. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. Um, and it's like... We must have talked about this years ago in the Ghostbusters show, but Dan Aykroyd really does believe in ghosts. He has family members that did seances and things like that, and um, he keeps up on all that stuff. So just to hear an interview where he's just talking about those kind of things, I think he would get a kick out of. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to listen to that. I, I have always been fascinated with him talking about his, his paranormal experiences. And I think that's one of the reasons that the original Ghostbusters is so good is that a large part of it is written by a guy who knows a lot of ghost lore. He knows and he believes, I think, is the other important part. He also, in this podcast, he mentions 
he had an experience where a female ghost uh, came on to him. So, so that scene is based on fact. As a matter of, or are you speaking, just are you joking? Yes. Well, okay then. So, and he said, "I could have woken up and screamed. I just kind of, I just sort of rolled with it, went with the moment, and then proceeded to spoon the ghost." So, um, yeah, I'll be interested to see how that new Ghostbusters movie is. Have you heard that much about it? I, I've only seen that teaser trailer and seen that comment it says, that it's supposed to be quote unquote for the fans. Um, I don't know. I'm happy with the amount of Ghostbusters in my life. Mm-hmm. If it's good, fantastic. If it's not good, it's probably just going to go completely past me. I, I, I'm curious. I think a lot of it is, is about kids from what I understand, some of which might be children of the original. And it has Dan Aykroyd is going to reprise his role and they're working like hell to get Bill Murray to do it. But um, I'm not sure if that'll happen. But Dan... Have him voice Slimer. Yeah, but Dan Aykroyd will be with Bill Murray in um, Zombieland 2. Huh. Interesting. What's something you've been watching, Thrasher? I've been going on for a while. So, uh, going... So, if you notice a change in the audio quality here, it's because I'm recording this from my new study... Uh, because my wife and I uh, recently moved, uh, and so as a result, I haven't had time to just sit down and watch a movie. But I'll tell you what I did watch, because uh, I wanted to watch something a little shorter and just something to help me blow off steam. I watched the ABC special, The Muppets Go to the Movies. I, I don't think I've seen that one. When, when, is it in the 90s, or when did this come out? No, it came out in 1981. It was oh. released to pr- help promote the Great Muppet Caper. Okay. They actually they show a very small handful of clips from the movie, and they do they sing the "It's a Movie" song, but with new with new footage they did just for the special. And it's essentially it's a bunch of Muppet Show specials, but they are all connected to they're all they're all based around something in movies so it's always and now our tribute to the silent film Mm. and it's rolf playing live piano over a fake silent movie they've made um but it does have two live action guest stars uh it has lily tomlin and dudley moore oh wow okay and and does dudley moore do a bit with gonzo or they do they do uh they do several they do several things like Dudley Moore does they do a tribute to like the Roman epic and uh he pl- and uh so he Dudley Moore plays Julius Caesar they do a uh they do a science fiction tribute where it's essentially it's a Godzilla movie but with giant rats and this this is this is the one sketch I wanted to point out which is which is fascinating is because since it's supposed to be like a Godzilla movie um all the dialogues and subtitles and what's interesting is that when Dudley Moore speaks, he's just speaking made-up gibberish. But when Lily Tomlin speaks, she's speaking real Japanese. Hmm. And I don't know if that's an intentional joke or if Lily Tomlin just so happened to know a few phrases in Japanese and thought, well, I'm not going to do gibberish. I'm going to use real words. Um and so that that's a it's it's an inexplicable thing going on in that particular sketch, and then it ends. And but of course, it ends with both the characters speaking in English that neither of them can read, and so they don't know what they don't know the plot of their own movie because they can't read their own subtitles. So I'm a little confused. Is is it a, a clip show of stuff from the old Muppet Show, or it's all new sketches intercut with making out things of the Muppet Caper? 
it's it's all it's all okay. new. It's all new stuff yeah. and a handful of clips to promote the great Muppet Caper. Um, they also do a they do a great Three Musketeers sketch, hmm. uh, which which is which is all built around the having the characters say a tongue twister that gets more and more complicated the the more they speak. Neat. Well, it's always good to see. Uh... Dudley Moore do comedy, and you don't often see him do sketch comedy. I'm sure he was a guest on SNL at one point. Oh, I'm sure. Probably when one of the Arthurs came out. Uh, yeah, or Santa Claus the movie or something like that. Um, <laughs> that's, I, I, wa- I did watch a movie uh, that I hadn't seen in a while just because there, there's been all that stuff with the trailer for the upcoming Joaquin Phoenix movie Joker. Oh yeah. And, and people are like, well, it, it, this is pretty much the same as The King of Comedy, which is an older Martin Scorsese film that I saw a long time ago with Jerry Lewis, and uh, it, it's streaming on Amazon Prime right now in the United States. So I, I watched it, and uh, th- I forgot how good that movie is. That's that's a very good, very creepy kind of movie. I heard Harlan Ellison took a pass on one of those one of the scripts for that. I heard because like, it was in development for ages, wasn't it? Yeah, they it? were trying to make it for a long time. They finally got the money together to do it. And uh, although it came out, I think like in eighty or eighty one, like it really does feel more like a seventies movie. Um, and uh, yeah, I, I can believe it. But it's also like very very mean and very cynical. And the the ending uh, is it's just really well done and, and thoughtful. And I, I do hope this Joker movie, if it's even like a 10th of what um, King of Comedy is, I'll, I'll be pleased because the King of Comedy stars um, Robert De Niro in kind of the Jerry Lewis role. Oh yeah. So we'll have to see. Do you like Joaquin Phoenix? It, I, I guess I I like the crazy things he does more than I like him. I mean, I don't I don't think he's a he's a bad actor. I I'm not sure. Like, I want this I want this movie to be good. Of course, I want every movie to be good. I'm just I'm not sure a Joker origin story is going to sustain a movie. I am also terrified that if I see it, it's going to be weighted down by baggage that's going to try to connect it to later movies. I, I cannot conceive of Warner Brothers allowing a movie about a Batman villain to be made without trying to cram as much franchise starting potential into it as possible. I I, I, I agree with that. I, I, I do think that it won an award at, it won like a big award at the Venice Film Festival is kind of surprising for being I think the that it's a comic book movie technically is, is going to be fairly tenuous and it, it takes, seems to take light inspiration from the Joker origin that's in uh, the killing joke. But I don't think it's telling that same story apart from the fact that the Joker, uh, or the man that becomes the Joker, as we know him, uh, is a comedian at some point. Um, so yeah, we'll, I'd like to see it. I, I really like Joaquin Phoenix and The Master. I thought that was a great movie. Um, and sometimes he just seems quirky for the sake of being quirky, but I, I will take that over uh, something else. Uh, I mean, the other thing I'm looking forward to is at the Toronto International Film Festival, they premiered um, the Color of Space movie starring Nicolas Cage. Oh, I cannot And that's wait. directed by Richard Stanley, who uh, is a very interesting guy. Who, orig- who was fired from the Island of Dr. Moreau remake and did did some uh, 
other things. <laughs> yeah, that is a movie I'm really looking forward to for a number of reasons. They better make it trippy. You have to. Oh yeah. It's uh, <laughs> it just the color and the different shapes and the the madness. Uh, Nicholas Cage is inspired casting the lead for something <laughs> like that. Did did you see Mandy? I heard that one's quite good. I haven't. Yes, I did. That was very entertaining. Okay? And, uh, and also, it also takes full advantage of some of the weird places that Nicolas Cage can go. Cool. Um, is there? Have you listened to any good podcasts lately? Or, I know you've been busy moving and with all the conventions. Strang- strangely enough, to kind of get me through the move, I've just been listening to a lot of old Laser Times. Which, which, which ones uh, have you liked the most? Uh, uh, particularly the ones dealing with horror movies. Uh, although any episode where they any episode where they do rap is great. Yes. The commercial rap episode, uh-huh. the bad celebrity and cartoon raps episode, the worst raps of all time episode. <laughs> Those are inspired. There's, um, I think they did one like on on really bad video game voice acting or something that was pretty funny. Yes, they 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 kept playing that uh, Mega Man clip where the guy flubs the line, but they kept it in the game Is anyway. Doctor Wily, yeah, Doctor Wily, Doctor Wily, Doctor Wily. Like they they keep <laughs> they kept in him trying yes. to recover the line. I, clearly, I think voice acting has come a long way in these sort of games. Although sometimes I think they're looking for cheesy performances on purpose now. Where at the time, that's just what they got for whatever reason. Okay, so speaking of video games. Yes. I think we need to see if we can emulate this. Hmm. Turns out in 1983 for the Atari 2600, there was a Porky's video game made. Huh. Okay, that, that one I didn't and know you... about. I did, um, oh, a few years ago, I did an article for Dread Central and horror games, and I, I played oh. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre game. I played the Halloween cool. game. Uh, but I, I was not aware of a Porky's video game, and I kind of shudder. Is it like a Pac-Man ripoff where you're collecting soap? I, I... Well, no, you, you play Pee-Wee, and you're trying to get to Porky's with certain items you can use to blow it up. Oh, okay. But to do that, yeah, that you go through you, you go through different environments where you collect the items, and it looks like each environment plays a little differently. Mm-hmm. Like the first level, you are crossing the street, and it's basically Frogger. Frogger. But there's a level that's a stealth game. You have to steal something from the woman's shower room. And so you have to navigate the woman's shower room, but you have to stay out of the eye line of the women in the shower. That that from a game design perspective, you could do a lot worse. That actually sounds kind of inspired. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, this this sounds like like that that's like those stealth mechanics were all the rage in like 2008. <laughs> like the fact that this game from 83 made a stab at having that level of stealth mechanics. Uh it's pretty wild, but apparently, like, if you, you you don't die in the game, you can fall off a board. If you fall off a board, you fall into a river in the Everglades and have to backtrack to get back to one of the previous environments. It, it is always surprising, uh, even back on the Atari, that you, for these video game systems that were primarily marketed as to, to uh, children, you have games based off of R-rated films. Like Alien or or what have you. Um, did did you have an Atari twenty six hundred? I don't know if we talked about this. Uh, well, my dad yeah. did, and I but I played quite uh, a bit of it. Yeah, no, that was my first system at home as well, and uh, I had the Raiders of the Lost Ark game, which was not so good. 
um, and E.T. and uh, Pac-Man. Um, I really like Berserk. I thought that was a good one. So, yeah, I think if we can emulate this, I think we need to play it so we can talk about it a little bit later. Failing sure. that, hopefully somebody has filmed themselves playing it. Maybe we can watch some of the actual gameplay. I think we we need to talk about it. This this is mm-hmm. possibly one of the earliest video game adaptations of a movie we've ever covered. That's true. Um, yeah, I, I will look into that. I, I don't think that should be too hard to do. And In fact, if I find it, I have equipment or I can try to do like a live stream of it or something. Nice. That would be good. I recently um, upgraded my home computer, which is always kind of a painful process transferring stuff over. And I have good news. I don't know if you saw this, but... I have the 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 vault of my old movie collection. I've discovered it. It was way. It took me seven separate trips to the storage unit by myself, <laughs> shuffling boxes around like a game of Tetris. But I found them, so we'll have uh, a lot more to pick from, including the old Universal horror movies or whatever. I'll have to. Th- I think I just nice. need to make a master list of what I have and what we haven't covered. Yeah, that. So, gosh, a lot of that stuff would be really worth uh, worth checking out. I didn't. I'm in the process of getting my DVDs unloaded too. Some of which have been in the basement of our old place for for ages. So I'm looking to I'm looking forward to rediscovering some old. Yeah, classics. I mean, what I had to do with my collection just just to save space, um, I have to get one more binder. But I have like these huge CD binders that I'm just putting the discs in because I do not have the shelf mm. space for all the cases. And uh, the TV shows take a lot of space in particular. Oh, yeah. Especially those awkwardly shaped Simpsons boxes when they inexplicably decided to put the char- make the boxes look like the characters' heads. I thought they re-released some of those as normal rectangular boxes. They, they did, and I believe they had a program where like, you could send in proof of purchase and they would send you a box in the old style. Did they? Um, I guess all the Simpsons will be on Disney Plus now, won't it? Uh, yes, and in fact, there have been there have been a lot since Disney Plus. I believe like had a soft launch in like Sweden or Denmark. Right, yeah, and I know a lot of a lot of people I know have been contacting friends that live in that part of the world, asking them like what certain things look like on the surface. It sounds like it has a lot of the Marvel cartoons from the '90s, like X Men and Spider Man. Um, although Hulu used to have some of this stuff, and they took it down. A, a third of those are good and worth watching. <laughs> Meaning just X-Men, or... I think Spider-Man's okay. Well, it's... I'm not going to call X... Okay, so X-Men was better than a lot of stuff on TV, but that's because they were very literally translating the X-Men comics of the era. But as a result, that series has all of the problems of the X-Men comics of that era as well. But it was still a fun The animation was not great on that show. Uh, But it's hard when you're comparing everything to Batman, the animated series, which often looked quite fluid, I think. And it seems, oh, looks yeah. like it had more money uh, to be produced. Um, Superman. Um, you ever see any of the DC... I guess one last thing, and then we'll finally go. Did you ever see any of the DC um, Universe streaming service? Do you ever check that one out? No, I'm very curious because yeah. I do. I do want to see. Uh, I do want to see a handful of their shows. I would kind of want to see what they did with uh, with uh, Swamp Thing. The mm-hmm. uh, Oh, hell, what, what was it? Uh, not Challengers of the Unknown, the one that Brendan Fraser was on. Um, I can't think of the name, but I know I know what you mean. They, 
And they, and they have something with uh, Nightwing, I think, right? Or uh, I guess there's something in development for Nightwing. I'm, I'm sure, like every goddamn property they have, there's something in development for that service. It's so it's so weird the roundabout way that happened because I remember it began. It be it was going to be like a a YouTube channel, but then it was going to be an anthology series on Cartoon Network, and then like it kept. Oh, the, really? the goalpost kept moving. Oh yeah, huh. yeah, because because the the whole DC universe thing began where they were going to do a th- they were going to do a, 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 a this like Elseworlds project sure. where they were going to where the whole deal was like you make a ten, you make a five to ten minute cartoon based on a DC property, but you can do any goddamn thing with it you want. And so the two big things that they that they showed to hype this was a. Batman short, but it was Batman in feudal Japan, and it was very stylized, and the Joker was an evil ninja. Um, Catwoman was also a ninja. Bane was this like weird rickshaw guy. Um, well, they did... I, they did do a Batman Samurai feature, but I believe it takes a different I tack. I don't think it's based on the same short. But then they also did a Metal Men short, which was almost like an old Hanna-Barbera cartoon. Hmm. But it worked perfectly for the metalmen. Yeah, and uh, I think originally there was some question if the DC Universe Online was going to continue, but I think it is because the Warners, which owns them, uh, is working on their own streaming service, HBO Max. So, and why shouldn't they have multiple streaming price. services that you have it's to pay exhaust- for separately? Yeah, someone like listed out the price of like all these different things, and it's like it's still cheaper than cable, I think, and no one's making you subscribe to everything. But it's certainly going to make well, the selection on things like Netflix and Amazon much poorer, at least as far as the TV and movies are concerned. Well, it's going to two things are going to come back in a big way. One is going to be piracy, uh, and the other thing is going to be the local video store. I agree with you on piracy, although piracy never completely left. Um, but uh, the, the local video store, I, I don't know. Like one of the only ones here in Portland, Oregon, had to be turned into a had to be bought out by a, a local theater and turned into a nonprofit to survive. Um, well, there's going to be, I think it's going to come to a point where, you know, a lot of people are just going to wash their hands of the multiple streaming services. Like I, maybe I don't want to deal with, with HBO go. Maybe I would like to just go to a place and rent a box set of game of Thrones and watch it on, at uh, watch it over a weekend and then return it for like a fifth of the price. I, I mean, the, the thing you are missing from the video store experience with these streaming services is some kind of curation or, or oh, human yeah. interaction or a person you can talk with. Hey, I kind of like this. What would you recommend? Or, well, you know what's funny? Netflix used to have something like that called Max. It had this interactive hmm. algorithm sort of thing that was actually shockingly useful. And then they discontinued it. You're right. Odd. Uh but it made it so easy to find things that you didn't regret watching. <laughs> yeah, you think they would keep that with the... You think because they want you to keep watching it nonstop at the end of the day, I assume. But also, like, they had developed it. Uh-huh. Like, is there? couldn't they have just leaved it switched on? They don't have to expand it. I don't know. Maybe, you know, another executive came in charge and said, I don't like this. I want to do my own thing. I don't know. But, uh... uh. Well, that was a neat Maybe. sort of tangent. So next week on Sequel Cast 2, we're going to be doing Porky's 2 the next day. But before that, we have a sequel scene. So we we went through things, and we decided just to 
we were going to keep the scene intact. We are going to do the scene where Balbaker is trying to explain her plan for identifying who was peeping uh, on the girl shower. And uh, what, what character do you want? I... I kind of want to do. Well, I, I'm so torn because I kind of want to do Ballbreaker, but all the guys in the scene have such fun voices. Well, I'll, like there's no one I don't want to. Well, do. why don't you do Ballbreaker? I'll do the guys. Okay. And um, so, so we're gonna do the whole exchange. All right. So now, Mister Carter, I know this is completely unorthodox, but I think this is the only way to find that boy. Now that penis had a mole on it. I'd recognize that penis anywhere. In spite of the juvenile snickers to come, this is a serious matter. That seducer and despoiler must be stopped. He's extremely dangerous, and, Mr. Carter, I'm certain that everyone in this room knows who that is. He's a contemptible little pervert Miss who... Ballbrecker. Well, I, I'm sorry, but I've got him now, and I'm not going to let him slip through my fingers again. Now, all I'm asking is that you give me five boys for a few minutes. The coaches can be present, Tommy Turner, and any four boys you see fit to choose. And we, and we, can put a stop to this menace. And it is a menace. Well, what are you going to do about it? Five young boys in the nude, the police line up so you can identify his his tallywhacker. Please, please can we call it a tallywhacker? Penis is so... Penis is so personal. We can put hoods over their heads to avoid embarrassment. Now listen, we have got to do it as distasteful as it is. I know it's him. That mm, tallywhacker had a mole on it, and that mole is the key. Miss Ballbrecker, do you realize the difficulty of your request? Now, uh, I would be very happy to uh, apprehend the young man myself. But can you imagine what the Board of Education would say if you were granted a lineup in order to examine their private par- their, their private parts for an incriminating mole? But, Mr. Carter... Mr. Carter, I think I have a way out of this. We uh, call the police and we have him send over one of their sketch artists. And uh, Miss Balbricka can give a description. We can put up wanted posters all over the school. Have you seen this prick? Report immediately to Belula Ballbreaker, and do not attempt to apprehend this prick as it is armed and dangerous. But he was last seen hanging out in the girls' locker room at Angel Beach High School. <laughs> what doesn't come across is how much everyone in the scene is cracking up by that part about the sketch artist. Yeah, I considered doing that when you were doing your lines, but I also thought it'd be kind of rude and hide what you were saying. I was trying not to laugh. Yes. I suspect my mic picked up so. It, it, it really is the, the highlight of the film, and I'm just looking at the poster for next week's movie, Porky's 2, the next day. If you thought the night before was funny, wait till you see the next day. So, well, I'll have to see what that means. It'll be new to me. Um, so, next week, Porky's 2, the next day. Um, let's see, you can uh, follow me on Twitter at MATWBT. You can follow me on Twitter at Internet Mayor. Um, what do you want to plug, Thrasher? You have a book you can talk about? or? Oh. Uh, no, you, you, there is still time to back my That's Kickstarter. Right. Just search for Petite Potion Pins. They're alchemy-themed uh, alchemy themed enamel pins, so check that out. There's still time to get in on uh, that as of this recording. Uh, and, of course, when the Kickstarter ends, a number of pins will likely be available on Etsy. I'll have more details about that later. Um, 
also, uh, you can look for this in the next uh, coming month or so, uh, City Builder Platinum Edition. I'm uh, working on my uh, entries for that book now, and uh, hopefully that'll be available within uh, a month or so. Fantastic. So with the, with the pins, are you producing those handmade in, in-house? Uh, no, we, we have found, uh, they're designed mm-hmm. by me, but we found a manufacturer. So they're going to be, they're going to be professionally mass produced. That's great. And, um, are you, do you have stretch goals in mind if you, when you hit the, surpass the goals? Yes. The, uh, the first big stretch goal are going to be glitter pins. So they're available in, uh, in, in seven colors, but you know, you get the whole spectrum, but our first stretch goal is we're going to have glitter variants of all those colors. Then our second stretch goal will be alternate uh, bottle shapes in those colors. Well, that's great. That's really exciting. It looks like the, the Kickstarter is doing well. and It is fully funded. Uh, congratulations. That's more than I can say for my uh, Indiegogo, I think, we, I did, we, we did for the Critic show. <laughs> oh, I remember that. Hey, check out Shermometer critiquing the Critic. It's not online yet. I'll put it back online. That's but, well, when it is, no, check, it it out. check it out. Regardless of when or where you're listening yep, to this. Um, I, my, my book, uh, The Films of Uwe Boll, Volume 1, The Video Game Movies, comes out September 27th. So go to Amazon.com and pre-order it. Um, I'm, we also, there's like an audiobook version uh, that's coming out as well that um, we had, uh, nice. I'll look up the guy's name, but we had a, a, an actor in um, England do it. And he did a, a really good job. I, I really like what I heard. Uh, and there's also going to be a physical version and I was told I should do some kind of a launch day event by my publisher, but I'm not sure what that will entail. Cool. Well, I've got my copy of the physical book pre-ordered, so I can't wait for that to yeah, come Yeah, no, in. should uh, should be exciting. I can't wait to have you read it and have all my Sequel Cast 2 listeners and all my friends uh, read it. It was a lot of fun. I'm working on Volume 2. Uh, the toughest part of which is I don't speak German, and a few of his early movies... Are German with no subtitles available. So um, wow. I had to use machine-based translation, and those chapters will be shorter. Let's say that much. Uh, so next week, Porky's two. The next day, um, for sequel has two. This is Matt. Hey. This is Thrasher. Let's just call it a tallywhacker. Oh my! Maybelline, why can't you be true? Oh Maybelline. Why can't you be true? You just started doing the 